So let me encourage you, if you've got your Bibles with you today, to open up to the book of Romans, uh, the 12th chapter. Romans is pretty easy to find. It's after the Gospels and then in the book of Acts. And then we hit Romans, which is Paul's uh, longest letter. So we've been thinking about identity uh, for all of 2021 so far. Most weeks I like to start with a question to to get you thinking, to get you reflecting uh, about things pertaining to our identity. And so the question I have for you this week is who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Whose are you? And that might be an unusual question. I I doubt that it's one you're asked very often in the course of a a general conversation. Because our our tendency is to think uh, we, we don't actually belong to anyone. Or at the very least, we belong simply to ourselves, to the the claims we have for for what we want, for what we need. But I would contend that we are created with an immense desire, an immense need for relationship with others. And we draw our worth from relationship with others. And so therefore, the way we answer this question about who we belong to says a lot about our identities. Last week, we were thinking about Paul's letter to the Corinthians and about how he encouraged the Corinthians to remember that we belong to Jesus, that the church is, is meant to be a place, a family, where all belong, where all are welcome, where, where Christ has called and saved and redeemed us. And therefore, this is, this is a place we belong to. There's a, there's a welcome, a hospitality about the family of Jesus. But today I want to think about that same statement, I belong to Jesus, but I want to put the emphasis in a different part of that statement. All right, if we emphasize that word belong, I belong to Jesus, there's this, this rightful sense that, that we are received, that we are blessed, that we are welcomed by the person of Jesus. But if we put the emphasis on the end of that statement, I belong to Jesus, there's there's a claim that is also made upon us. There's a recognition in that statement that increasingly who I now am in Christ, what I now possess in Christ, the way I now live as a person in Christ belongs to him. It's no longer mine. I belong to someone else. And when we begin to believe that, ironically, we, I think, also begin to experience a greater sense of freedom. That we do not belong only to ourselves. We belong to the Lord of heaven and earth. And it moves the the center of gravity for us, so to speak, away from ourselves and back to our creator. So I was thinking about what it means for our lives to belong to someone else. It made me think of Tom and Pat Bailey. Some of you know Tom and Pat. They are uh, people who worship with us here at JCC. 
But if you don't know Tom well, you may not know some of his personal story, his own testimony. Tom, when he was a young man in his mid-twenties, suffered a significant cerebral hemorrhage. Uh, It was nearly fatal. It nearly took his life as a young man. But miraculously, he uh, was able to receive medical care at uh, the UVM hospital. At that time, it was Fletcher Allen. And he spent six months consecutively recovering in the hospital, receiving treatment. And once he returned home from the hospital, he he spent another six months recovering at home and continuing to be cared for. And as, as a result of that change in his life, he was no longer able to return to his former work, his former workplace. But he made the decision that because his life had been given back to him, because his life had been spared, that he wanted to offer his life back in service. And in particular, in service to the hospital and to patients who were recovering there. And so shortly after his recovery back in 1978, Tom started working at UVM Hospital as a volunteer. And that service lasted for almost 40 consecutive years. I want to show you a brief clip. Uh, It's from a video the hospital made uh, to recognize Tom for his service back in 2010. Let me just show you uh, about 45 seconds of that. Today you can find Tom in the patient library or guiding the book cart through the units, offering reading materials to patients. He'll mark 30 years of volunteering this summer with more than 17,000 hours of service. This service was recognized last year with a presidential award. Tom always has a smile and a sense of humor. He's fond of trying to entice patients to stay a little longer, saying, come on, stick around, we have a nice selection of books and magazines, a beautiful view here, and breakfast in bed. Somehow, they don't always go for it. Looking back on his volunteer experience, Tom says that it's been a lifesaver for him. It has allowed him to feel useful. It's really not fair, he jokes. I get more out of it than the patient does. See Tom the next time, ask him about um, those years of service, and and you'll hear how much joy uh, he experienced in in giving of his time in that way. Something I think Tom understands better than most of us is this reality that our lives are not actually our own. Our lives are, are gifts given to us, and in Tom's case, given back to him in a real sense. And he chose to to willingly offer that then, that life, as a gift to others. Tom understands that his life belongs to God. Today, as we come to Paul's letters, again, we're in the book of Romans this morning. We continue to hear what Paul wants wants us to know about being in Christ, to move our lives into the the center of gravity that is Jesus, the Lord of all things. And Paul wants to challenge us here in Romans 12 to consider how our lives now belong to the God who has chosen to save us, and how in, in bringing us into this new family, our lives belong not only to God, but now belong to one another as well. Let me pray for us as we look through these first eight verses of Romans 12. 
Lord Jesus, it is good to belong to you. Lord, we want to rest in that sense of belonging this morning. To rest and remember who we were when you called us. That your choice of us depends not on anything we bring. Not any airs about us. But simply your gift. Your kindness. Your mercy. And Lord, in the freedom of belonging to you, would you show us also what it looks like to offer ourselves to you today. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth might be an offering to you, that the meditations of our hearts together might be an offering that is pleasing in your sight. Jesus, it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. So we're in Romans 12 today. If you've spent any time in the book of Romans, you'll know that it's, it's considered by many Paul's or one of Paul's sort of theological masterpieces. And it's an extended reflection, chapters 1 to 11, all, all that precedes us this morning. It's this extended reflection on the grace of God, on the, the mercy of God, on the saving power of God to rescue us from death and sin. And in a way of life that was, that was running counter to the things God had created and prepared us for. But Paul tells us that through faith in Jesus Christ, our, our lives are bought back. They are redeemed. They are rescued. And so after 11 chapters of, of reflecting and outlining how that happened, at the start of chapter 12 here, we... we see a a pivot, a change, where we move from what Christ has done to the so what, or the now what. In view of all that God has done for us, how are we to respond? And so Romans 12, verse 1, starts with this word, therefore. Let me look just at verse 1 here to begin. Paul says, therefore I urge you. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of the God who rescued and redeemed you and found you when you were his enemy, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer to God your bodies. Paul has a great affinity for body language in his epistles. And by that mean, I don't mean Paul uses hand gestures like Pastor Dave does up here. I mean that Paul has a lot to say about bodies in his letters. The Greek term soma or body comes up almost a hundred times in his correspondence throughout the New Testament. And it's, it's sort of a complex picture because Paul, on the one hand, recognizes that our bodies are the site of some pretty challenging realities. Our bodies are the places we experience weakness. Our bodies are are places we experience sickness and suffering. Paul says our bodies can be ruled.
ruled by sinful desires, by passions. Our bodies can be ruled by hatred. Right? Our bodies can commit acts of violence toward other bodies. And what's worse, Paul also knows that eventually all bodies are subject to the curse and the sting of death. Right? In our bodies, we recognize that we are significantly limited persons. But for as much as our bodies are, are broken, are limited, are imperfect, Paul also wants to affirm that bodies are where God does some of his greatest work. Namely, right, case in point, the body of Jesus Christ. Into a human body, God poured out his glory, his presence, his, his revealing nature, right, through the person of Jesus Christ. God poured his saving power to heal our bodies. To cause his Holy Spirit to live in our bodies. And in the person of Jesus Christ, as we receive the Holy Spirit, we have this promise, this seal, that these bodies, yes, they are subject to death, but that we one day await the resurrection life of these bodies as well. Right, Paul says all of those things about bodies. And our bodies then are incredibly important. Right? They are precious to God. They matter to him. And so because Jesus gave his body on the cross to save us from death, Paul says the most fitting thing, the most logical response to what Christ has done is to offer these bodies back to God. He says, as a living sacrifice, verse 1. Right, that is some, some serious body language. What does he mean when he says we're to give our bodies as a living sacrifice? Right, that's kind of, kind of dicey language. What, what does Paul mean? What does, he, what does he envision us doing here? Now, of course, in Paul's day, both Jews and Gentiles were accustomed. When they came to places of worship, they brought other bodies as sacrifices, right? They brought things as small as, as pigeons or doves. Sometimes they brought lambs. Sometimes they would bring a whole bull to offer on a sacrificial altar as part of their worship. But the early Christian churches, the early Christian community was distinct in that it had no sacrificial altar. You didn't bring other bodies along to worship with you. Instead, as Douglas Moo says in his commentary on this verse, Christians brought their own bodies to the altar, their own bodies as an act of worship. And so in verse 1 it says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. It's, it's a fitting response to what Christ has done with his body. And so yes, we worship as we pray. Yes, we worship as we sing. Yes, we worship in our fellowship with one another after 
this service. But Paul wants us to see that worship is so much bigger than that. True worship, he says, is the offering of our whole person. It's the the offering of this body that Jesus has rescued. And we bring it back to God. So he says, offer your bodies to God. Our bodies belong to him. As we present our, our bodies as an offering to Christ, Paul also says in verses 2 and 3 that this gives us a chance to present our ways of thinking as well to God. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So verse 1, right, begins, in view of what God has done, in view of God's great mercy, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. And now I think Paul is saying, offer your minds, offer your ways of thinking as well. The late and great New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce says that, that we're to use the, the worship space, the act of worship, as a way to set aside the patterns of this world or set aside the patterns of this age, literally is what that word means. Right? We're, we're constantly being conformed by the, the, the waters we swim in, right? the values, the desires of, of the world in which we live. But worship is this place where we remember we belong also to the age to come. F.F. Bruce says, in worship we grasp that we are heirs of the age to come, an age of renewal, an age of resurrection. Our minds then need to be reoriented around the truth of that reality. Right? That we now belong in Christ. We belong to, to the Son of God. We belong to the kingdom he is bringing. And so, in order for that to happen, our worship is both a visceral, right? It's the offering of our bodies. It's that kind of experience. But our worship must also capture our minds, our ways of thinking. It says, offer your minds to be transformed. And the verb here in verse 2, which is transform, is, is the same one the gospel writers will choose to describe Jesus' experience going up the mountain. You remember when Jesus took the four disciples to the top of a high mountain and he was transformed. He was transfigured in their presence. And on that day, those disciples came to see the glory of Jesus, the glory of who Jesus was in a new way. And as a result, they also perceived who they were as his disciples in a new way. When we perceive the glory of who God truly is, when our minds are transformed to see God as he truly is, we cannot help but see ourselves in a different light as well. 
So how does our worship transform our thinking? Well, in verse 3, Paul says, according to the grace given to me. Because God has been kind and merciful to me, let me return the favor to you. And he says, let me invite you to think clearly about who you are. Let me show you who you really are. And Paul's not afraid to, to put the mirror up to us as our friend. How many of you have friends who help you see who you truly are? Like when you've got food smeared on your face, they'll tell you, hey, come over here, let me get that. You know, maybe they, they lick it off you. Or they tell you there's a, there's a rip in the back of your pants. Maybe you should do something about that. How many of you, of, of you have a friend who would come up to you in the middle of an argument and say, hey, you're acting like a jerk right now and you need to stop. Right? You need to slow down. You need to see yourself as you truly are. We need friends like Paul here who challenge us right, to be transformed in our thinking. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but rather, he says, to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Right? There's nothing more unattractive than false pride, right? than people who, who pretend to be something they are not. And so because God is merciful and kind to us, because he's full of grace he invites us to, to be sobered up in the way we see ourselves. He invites us to see our blind spots. To see ourselves humbly and clearly. But the mercy and grace of God doesn't just end there. It's not just showing us our, our shortcomings or our limitations. Paul says we're also to think of ourselves, verse 3, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to us. Right, the faith that tells us we are in persons in Christ now. And so that also means that God is distributed out gift, distributed out grace, distributed out benefits, not for the glory of our own bodies, not for the glory of our own egos, not for the glory of what I want, but he says, for the glory of a much greater body to which we now belong. And that's the body of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verses 4 through 8. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, Pete demonstrated that for us a few minutes ago, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Who do you belong to? Well, verse 5 makes it clear. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully.
chapter 8 begins, chapter 8, chapter 12 begins with this insight that our bodies are not our own, right? They've been bought by the, the mercy and grace of Christ. And so they belong to God. We put them back as offerings on the altar. But now in verses 4 through 8, in this next section, Paul returns to that idea of bodies. But he says, if we individually have put our lives on the altar, right, as living sacrifices to God, then what Christ does is he takes all of those individual offerings and he brings them together into one new corporate offering, one new body in Jesus Christ. And in the same way that our physical bodies, right, we have nearly 80 organs that all depend on one another, and if one is not operating properly, the other one begins to, to experience it as well. Right? In the same way that our physical bodies are interdependent, verse 5 says, so too in Christ, though we are many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Not only do I belong to God, right? I belong to all of you. And all of you belong to me. I wonder if, if there's a sense in which we need to recover that, that muscle memory, so to speak. Right? We've been apart from one another. We've been apart from this corporate reality of a, of a body for the better part of a year. And so we may have forgotten what it feels like, what the practice is like to belong to others, to share our lives with others. On the bright side, maybe you've experienced increased intimacy, increased belonging with those who've, who've been in your immediate families this past year or, or in your sort of COVID pod for the past 14 months. But as Pete encouraged us, right now we need to rediscover how we belong to each other, how we even belong to those parts of the body we, we forgot about. How we might belong to parts of the body we're tempted to believe we might be better off without. The New Testament is clear. We, we cannot be individuals. We cannot be atomistic in our thinking. It says, if you belong in Christ, then you belong to one another. If we choose to act otherwise, then, then we are acting contrary to what Christ has done. We, 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 we cast dispersion on the mercy he has shown to us. The desire of our Lord to bring us together as one people. And so because we are one body, Paul says, we need to exercise. We need some conditioning. We need some calisthenics together. Use these gifts. Over the past six weeks or so, uh, we've, we've put together, as, uh, as part of what Pete and I have initiated and the deacon board and the advisory board has, has blessed us to do, a, a team of about eight of us who are looking at the, the values of JCC. We're looking at the mission of JCC. We hope to look at, at where that set of values and mission would take us in terms of a vision going forward. But one of the questions we've asked in, in that process, in those discussions, is, is what do you love about JCC? What is it that, that attracted you here in the first place? And one of the members of that group, Katie Bowling, shared 
that one of the things she loved about this place when she first visited was how every gift in a church like this is needed. Right? We're, we're not 4,000 people. You can't come in and out the back door and, and just sort of take worship and, and go your own way. Right? Every part of this body has to be exercised or this body will cease to exist. If you don't offer the unique grace God has given you in this place, then pretty soon we'll notice a deficiency within the life of this body. Right? And so, Paul says, exercise your gifts. God has given grace to each and every member of the body. It's a gift. You did nothing to earn it. God has given it to you. And so, verse 6 says that that gift needs to circulate, needs to be distributed through our body like the fresh supply of blood. So if you are gifted at prophecy, right, if you're gifted at revealing the heart and the truth of God to his church, we need you to prophecy. And we need you to speak the truth to us even when we don't want to hear it. That's often what prophets do. If you're a servant who, who notices and sees need and responds to it, we need you to serve the church right now. If you're teachers, if you're like Dom or, or Donna or Jimmy and Justine, we need you to teach and to build us up in the gospel. If you're encouragers, we need you to encourage right now. If you're a leader, we need you to lead. If you're a giver, we need you to release generosity into this body. If you are gifted and powerful in mercy, then we need you to do that cheerfully and gently, especially with those who are wounded or anxious today. Right? More than ever, we need to belong to each other. And so this morning we're going to do something we haven't done in 14 months. We're going to take an offering together. It's, it's appropriate that we would do that on the morning we looked at this passage. But as we do that, I know many of you are probably in the habit of, of giving online, giving your financial gift in a new way, and that's totally okay. Whether you put something physically in the plate as they, they get passed around or not, I want you to feel free to, to imagine, to, to pray during this time. And even as we continue to sing and to worship afterwards, that you're putting your life, you're putting your body, you're putting your ways of thinking, you're putting the gifts that God has graciously given to you onto the altar today.